Paul closes out this letter. He actually began it with grace and peace and then added mercy between in parentheses, grace and peace on one side, peace, mercy, and grace on the other. And it all comes through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, apart from Christ, we can't know that grace. We can't know that mercy. We can't know that peace. You're looking too far for that need you have inside. You're on a big merry-go-round and it's taking you for a ride. You've got to let go and let go. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Paul is going to recap a couple of these things for us as he closes out his letter. It's Galatians chapter 6, verses 11 through 18. And Father, we pray that you would just bless the teaching of your word, Holy Spirit, inspire our hearts, my voice, my thoughts, but also our hearts to hear the things you would have for us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Quite often, we make a boasting in our flesh, and in reality, spiritually, that's supposed to be depleting. The sense of glorying in our flesh, when we should be glorying in in the Lord and the work that he's doing through our lives. Paul says, I'm going to boast in the cross of Christ. Let him who glories glory in the Lord, rejoice in Christ Jesus, have no confidence in the flesh. And so this boasting. Now, Paul had so much to boast about if he wanted to. Let's go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Chapter 11 is what I was looking for. In verse 16, um, talking about boasting and And so in verse 16, he says, I say again, let no one think me a fool, if otherwise, at least receive me as a fool, that I may boast a little. What I speak, I speak not according to the Lord. So he's saying, this ain't God here. This is totally me. But as it were foolishly in the confidence of boasting, seeing that many boast according to the flesh, I will also boast. For you put up with fools gladly, since You yourself are wise. You put up with it if one brings you into bondage, if one devours you, if one takes from you, if one exalts himself, if one strikes you on the face. To our shame, I say we are too weak for that. But in whatever anyone is bold, I speak foolishly. I am bold also. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they of the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, 
in deaths more often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, and in the wilderness, and in the sea, and among the false brethren, in weariness, and toil, in sleep. Listness often in hunger and thirst, in fasting often, in cold and nakedness. Besides the other things, what comes upon me, my deep concern for all the church. And he just kind of lays it out. If you want to talk about what you've been through, see if you can even equal what I've been through. And, you know, beaten five times by the Jews, stoned three times, left for dead. We know at least one of those times, possibly even dying. And being resurrected back to life. Paul had been through it. But the interesting thing is, as we go down to verse 30, he says, If I must boast, I will boast then concerning my infirmity. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor was guarding the city with a garrison desiring to apprehend me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hand. He says, if I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast in my infirmity. And what he's really sharing with us here is one of his failures. I believe he felt it was one of his great failures when he first became a believer. And it was there in the city of Damascus. He began to preach Christ. He had went there to arrest the Christians. Now he's he's preaching Christ and, and he's about ready to get arrested. He's about ready to get killed himself. And the church put him in a basket and lured him out the window that he could escape. And he says, I'm going to boast in anything. I'm going to boast in my failure. But look at what Paul could do. And I think that's what Paul was trying to teach us. Look what happens when Christ takes over our life, what we can face when Christ is with us. And that's why I believe he said, you know, I'm going to make my boasting not in myself, but my boasting in the Lord. Let him who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Everything that he listed out here for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he erases it all when he writes to the church of Philippians or Philippi. There in Philippians 3, 7 through 11, he tells about all that he had gained. And really, it comes down to this one thing. He says, I count them all as rubbish that I may gain Christ. That word for rubbish in the King James, it's dung. It's what has been thrown out. It's refuge. It's what is detestable. He says, all these things that I've gained, I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is by God by faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. He says, if I'm going to glory, I'm going to glory in the Lord. The stuff that I've accomplished in my life, he says, there's nothing, the refuge, I throw them out, that I may know Christ in the power of his resurrection. And Paul was the one who boasted in the Lord. He boasted in Christ. In Romans 1.16, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel 
of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. And I wonder, at times, are we ashamed of the gospel? We realize that we have the power of salvation through the message of the gospel, and, and people need to hear it. They may not want to hear it, but they need to hear it. They need the opportunity to know the salvation that's available through Christ Jesus our Lord. In verse 16, as he closes out this letter, he says, As many as walk according to this rule, what rule? That circumcision and uncircumcision avails nothing, but we are a new creation in Christ, found there in verse 15, that there's, through Christ Jesus we're a new creation. If anyone walks according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the God of Israel. The God of Israel, some have questioned who Paul was talking about here. Was he talking about the church as Israel? Was he referring to the nation of Israel in this passage of Scripture? I believe he often, we find in the epistles, referred back to the nation of Israel. He had a deep love for his own people. And so I believe he may well have been referring to the nation of Israel. But there's a difference in this phrase that when it's the Israel of God, it makes me think of a true believer, one who truly trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Israel of God. This name was given to Jacob. Remember, he was in that wrestling match at Peniel there when he was running from Laban and running right into Esau, his brother. His brother, 20 years earlier, had sworn that he was going to kill Jacob when his dad had passed away. His dad hadn't died yet, but for 20 years, Jacob had been on the run. And for 20 years, he had been spending that time with his father-in-law, Laban. And during that time, he married two women, ended up with four wives and 12 kids. And uh, he's coming home now. Now, he was running from Laban, who wanted him dead. And Laban, the whole mispah thing, you know, we, we see that at the jewelry store and how cute and romantic, you know, the Lord watch between me and you as we are apart from one another. You know, that was just a threat from Laban to Jacob, saying that this line right here, if you, God's watching, God's my witness. If you cross over this line and come back to my home, I'm going to kill you. If I cross over, you can kill me. But God is our witness between us. Now, we've taken that verse, and, and we, we use it as kind of a love, love thing between couples. But that wasn't the intent of it. That's what he was running from. He was running from Mizpah, where Laban said, you know, I wanted to kill you, but God came to me tonight and said, if I do anything to harm you, I'm a dead man. So I'm not going to do anything to harm you. But I want you to know that I hate you. He didn't say that, but that was what was in his heart. So... He's running from Laban, and now he hears that Esau is coming for him. So he had sent out his scouts, and the scouts came back and said, Esau's coming. I think he was coming with 400 men. And so Jacob is just in shock at this point, and he had devised this plot. Now, his name means heel catcher of supplanter. He was a guy who just devised things and figure out how to manipulate people and how to trip them up, the idea of the heel catcher, to trip somebody up. And so he had sent out some caravans of gifts for Esau as he was coming. And then that night he separated his family on one side of the brook, and then he went over on the other by himself. But there he met our Lord Jesus Christ. And Scripture tells us that he wrestled with a man until daybreak. 
And as he was wrestling, he refused to let go. And he kept saying, you know, I won't let go until you bless me. And I won't let go until you bless me. Another passage tells us that he was doing this. He was pleading with tears to bless. And God touched his socket in his hip. He made him a cripple on that night. He walked out of that on a staff from that day forward. But he also changed his name. And I believe both are significant. See, up to this point in Jacob's life, he ran from everything. He got in trouble, and it was usually his own fault. He would run from him. So it was whether it was Esau, his brother, or Laban, his father-in-law. He was a man who was often on the run. But God said, from now on, you can't run. You can't trust in your flesh any longer. You're going to have to trust in me. And I'm going to give you a new name, and that name is is uh, Israel. It means one who has strived with God. But that we think of contention when we think of striving. But this is a good sense, that he has strived with God. Or others had said it could be translated as prince of God. Or one, I like this one, one who is governed by God. One who has allowed God to take control of his life. And that makes me think of the Israel of God, one who has allowed God to take control of his life. And if you're one who have accepted Christ as your Savior, you've allowed the Lord Jesus Christ to come in and to take control, then you are of the Israel of God. And Paul said to you, peace and mercy be upon you. From now on, he said, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when Paul said this, I bear in my body the marks, we went through the list, right? He was beaten five times with the cat of nine tails, 39 stripes each time. So if it's a cat of nine tails, it's always a multiple of nine. He was stoned three times. Can you imagine what his body, I mean, this warrior, no doubt he looked like a warrior. And the idea of this goes back to, I believe, verse 12. He says, they desire to make a good showing in the flesh, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. And Paul says, I've suffered the persecution and my body bears the marks of it. And I think it was just a slight going back on the Judaizers saying that, you know, I'm taking the message and the gospel of Jesus Christ to the, to the limit. I, I'm laying my life out and you can see it in my own body. And then finally, brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. You know, as he closes out this letter, there's three things that really stood out to me in these last three verses. That of peace, mercy, and grace. He began his letter by saying, grace and peace be unto you. He, he began all his epistles by saying that. Only when he wrote to uh, Timothy and Titus did he say, grace, mercy, and peace. And some have jokes saying that because Timothy and Titus were pastors, that the pastors always need an extra dose of mercy thrown in there. But here we find that he threw it in for all of us. Grace, mercy, and peace. You know, that Greek word for uh, peace is, is that of a, a rest that we can have in our lives. You know, I, I really like that verse in Philippians that talks about the peace of God that surpasses understanding. You know, in Romans 5, 1, it tells us that we can make peace with God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. But when we make peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ, we also have the peace of God come upon our lives. 
Jesus said in John 14, 27, Peace I leave you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You know, this peace that the Lord gives is an everlasting peace. Not as the world gives, because the world will give it and they'll take it away. They'll give it and maybe somebody else will take it away. You know, it's just the world is, is in such chaos at all times. But the peace that the Lord gives, no one can take away. Mercy is that of compassion, and it's either human or divine. But here he's referring to the mercy of God. But it's a word that in the Greek, it has that sense of being active. It's always active. The mercy of God always being active upon our lives. And, and I love this in Ephesians uh, 2, 4. Paul writes and says, but God who is rich in mercy. You know, I don't know if you've ever cried out to the Lord for mercy, but God is rich in mercy. God who is rich in mercy because of his great love, which he had loved us, even when we were dead in the trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. God's rich mercy has been displayed through the sacrifice of Jesus upon the cross. Even when we were dead in our sins, God's mercy and grace sent his son, his love, sent his son to die upon the cross. The word grace is charis. In the New Testament, it's found 156 times. And it, it speaks about having joy, pleasure, delight. But here, Paul uses it in this, this epistle seven times. God's grace being upon us. God's grace being upon us. You know, it's through grace, as we continue in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, through grace that we are saved through faith. It's not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. God's peace, God's mercy, God's grace, all available through Jesus Christ. And I don't know any of us who could say we, we don't need peace, mercy, and grace in our lives. To rest upon our lives. Paul closes out this letter. He actually began it with grace and peace and then added mercy between in parentheses, grace and peace on one side, peace, mercy, and grace on the other. And it all comes through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, apart from Christ, we can't know that grace. We can't know that mercy. We can't know that peace. Now, just as a matter of a review, and it won't take long, some of the verses that just really mean so much to me in this passage um, back in chapter 1, chapter 1, verse 15, he says, But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace. There it is, grace again. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb. You know, Paul was saying that I had been set apart by God even when I was in my mother's belly. And you know what? I look at that verse and I... I feel the very same thing. And I hope that you do too. Know that God had you in mind when he sent his son to the cross. And that God has a plan for your life. Sounds like a Billy Graham statement there, but he does. He has so much for you there. I also liked in chapter 2, verse 8, 
He who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. Now, it's not that I'm worried about the apostleship, the circumcision, the uncircumcision there, but he who worked effectively in Peter, in Paul, in Barnabas, and James, and John, he is also who works effectively in us today. It's the same God that worked in Peter and Paul and John and James that are listed out there. It's the same God that works in us today, and we should take courage in that. Verse 20 of chapter 2, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I mean, that's just a verse that says so much. But it's talking about the relationship that we have in the cross of Jesus Christ. I have been crucified in Christ. And we're dead to our old life, our old sin. And we've been risen from the grave to walk in newness of life by faith in Jesus Christ. In chapter 3, it's verse 11. This is a passage that's quoted from Habakkuk in the Old Testament, but it's been repeated three times in the New Testament. There in verse 11, the just shall live by faith. How do we live as believers? We live by faith. And it's always been that way from the Old Testament to the New Testament. The just shall live by faith. And that's just one for, that's a keeper verse for us to know. And also verse 13, there at the bottom of the verse, it says, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. And so Christ became that curse for us. And by being hung on the cross, He also has become our redemption. In chapter 4, it's verses 4 and 5 that stood out to me. It says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. In the fullness of time, that teaches us that when Christ died upon the cross nearly 2,000 years ago now, that it was in God's perfect timing. And when we come to faith in Jesus Christ today, looking back to Jesus' work on the cross, it's still in God's perfect timing in our lives. That when it pleased God in the fullness of time. Chapter 5, it's verse 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again in the yoke of bondage. And it's so easy for us to get entangled again in our old lifestyle. And Paul says to stand fast in that liberty. He actually said a lot in chapter 5. I also like verse 13. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty, but only do not use that liberty as opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So we're to stand fast in the liberty, but with the liberty we're to freely serve one another. In verse 16, he tells us that we should walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Verse 18, that we are to be led by the Spirit. In verses 22 and 23, that we are to have the fruit of the Spirit operating in our lives, which is that of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In verse 25, we're to live in the Spirit, and we're also to walk in the Spirit once again. Chapter 6, verse 1, we're to have the Spirit of 
gentleness that we learned about last week. If anyone's overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Verse 2, bear one another's burdens, so fulfills the law of Christ. Verse 9, don't grow weary in doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. And verse 14, if we're going to boast, let us boast in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, just the testimony that we have of the Apostle Paul and his teachings that you have given us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as you've penned these for us some 2,000 years later, still learning from them, Lord. Help us to learn these lessons. Help us, Lord, to be those who would not desire to make a showing in our flesh, but, Lord, only let you do a work in our lives that we would glory, Lord, in your work, in your cross, that we are a new creation in you. And I pray, Lord, that your peace and your mercy and your grace would be upon our lives. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.